All right, we have a special show for you today. In the last quarter of 2016, Jared and I did a ton of travel. We went to OzCon in London, All Things Open in Raleigh, North Carolina, and Node Interactive in Austin, Texas. And today's show is an anthology show. We're sharing some awesome hacker stories from each of these conferences that really got to the heart of things. If you've been paying attention, you know that we launched our new branding in October of last year and updated our tagline to Hacker to the Heart. So these stories fit perfectly with the essence of who we are, and we're proud to share them with you. And by the way, in this episode, we're introducing our new theme music. I hope you love it as much as we do. Huge thanks to the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder for working so closely with us on our new beats. One more thing before we kick the show off. Bandwidth for changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. everyone this is the change log and i'm your host adam stakoviak this is episode 235 and i hope you love our new beats thank you breakmaster they're awesome in this anthology episode we're featuring three awesome hacker stories with a slightly different perspective than we're used to first up we got giovanni caligares with his story on how he brought LibreOffice to the people of paraguay by translating it to their native tongue Second, we talk with Stu Karov, who started a Linux user group for kids called the Asian Penguins in a school for Asian refugees, where they learn to install, use, and configure Linux and open source software. And last but not least, we talk with Xia Lu on how China does Node. Software development is done differently in China, in large part because of the slow translations of documentation and books from English to Chinese, but also because of the Great Firewall of China, a censorship and surveillance project of the Chinese government, which makes it very, very difficult to interact with the rest of the web. Our sponsor for today's show is our friends at GoCD. Head to gocd.io slash changelog to learn more about this awesome open source continuous delivery server. GoCD lets you model complex workflows, promote trusted artifacts, see how your workflow really works, deploy any version anytime, run and grok your tests, compare builds, take advantage of plugins and more. Once again, head to gocd.io slash changelog to learn more. And now on to part one of the show. All right, well, you're here with LibreOffice. Yes. Tell me uh, your involvement with LibreOffice. Uh, I got involved with LibreOffice in 2014. Yeah. Um, that year, I was living in Toronto. I was, um, I always wanted to do something for Paraguay uh, and Guarani. That's the language of uh, Paraguay, Spanish and Guarani. Guarani? Guarani. Guarani. Guarani is an indigenous language. Okay. Um, it's spoken by 90% of the country, um, but our indigenous population is very small, actually. It's about 1% uh, of the population. Right. So most, really, truly, um, non-natives speak the language. Right. In every social class. Rich, so very few poor, natives. Very natives. Yeah. So, but it's a language that's spoken, in, especially in the smaller towns, right? People speak it a lot as their first language. 
and 40% of the country only understands Guarani. And if you want to be a professional in Paraguay, you have to speak Spanish. Which is quite a conundrum for people. Uh, yeah, it's, it, could, it could get tricky. It's a problem, right? It's a problem. It, it could be a problem, and it shouldn't be a problem. Okay. Right? So, in 2014, I already had thoughts of going back to Paraguay. Um, I, I wanted to go back for a year. So I decided if I was going to go back, I was going to do something I like. But truly, I, I, I wanted... It would be my own contribution to the country. You wanted to help or something? I wanted to help something. You didn't just want to move home. You wanted to actually... I like, wanted to do something. I'm, if just if I was just going to move just for the hell of it, it didn't make sense. You, you don't know? like moving, so don't move. I don't move, like moving. Don't move for the hell so, of it. Um, where was this, why is the desire to like do a big help? Like, Where does that come from? Some sort of gratitude or uh, what? Because um, I lived in so many places by now, and I see the possibilities. Uh, yeah and the skills that you need. And one of the most required skills today, I mean, back in the day was you gotta know how to use a computer, right? right. That was the average yeah. skill you needed. Okay, that doesn't cut it anymore. Now you need to use, you gotta learn how to use Office. Doesn't, doesn't matter which brand, Microsoft Office, OpenOffice, it doesn't matter, but Office is an essential tool for every career. Right. Right? Yeah. So I started thinking, okay, we have all these people in Paraguay who, don't speak Spanish, but office is the most essential tool to have a job. Uh, you can have, a, like I mentioned to you before, you can have a tool that does all, everything you need, yeah. all, right? But if it's not in your language, it's pointless. You can't use it. So the idea started coming from there. So when I went back to Paraguay, I got in touch with the Document Foundation. They're, they're responsible for maintaining and developing LibreOffice. And they were super happy with it, right? And I'm excited too with, uh, with the idea of doing a translation for LibreOffice and Guarani. Then I realized, not realized, I know this. I don't speak Guarani. What? I don't. Wait a minute. I thought. I don't. Wait a I minute. Speak, I speak four languages, but one alone is not Guarani. So, hopefully, one of them is Spanish. I speak Spanish, Portuguese, English, and Italian. Okay. okay? Are you Italian? I'm Italian descendant. Yeah. Very Italian name, yes. Italian mannerisms. I'm a quarter Italian <laughs> yeah. too, so. So, I had some money saved up when I was in Paraguay. Yeah. Because that's the money I took with me, truly, it, and it wasn't that much. So I have this massive project. I never translated a program in my life. I never, I don't know how to code. And you don't know the language that you're gonna. I don't know the language, okay? Most people would just go like go to the movies at this point or, <laughs> you know, throw just, that yeah. idea out the window. Yeah, I mean, it's so. Plus, I wanted to enrich my curriculum, my resume. And sure. that was a great opportunity. I was going to be there for a year, and I didn't want to get a job doing something else. So it was hands-on. And OK, so I, I got in touch with a mailing list of LibreOffice, uh, and they started guiding me how to do everything. And truly, if it wasn't for them, or the, I couldn't have done it. Huh. So they told me, OK, start with the terminology list that of the words that you're gonna think you're gonna use the most, right? So I went to the program, I opened the application, started seeing the most used uh, common terms and stuff like that. So I created a, uh, about a thousand words, Okay. right? Then I, I gave it to a friend who speaks Guarani and he did the, um, the translation so of those words. You enlisted a friend who knows Spanish and Guarani. Guarani. Exactly. And you put it in Spanish and he put it in Guarani. Exactly. Okay. That was just the beginning. That's not, I haven't even translated the program yet. Yeah. So, out of my own pocket, I paid this one 
He's not even a professor, true. It's just this one guy, this old man. Some old man. This old man that knows nothing about telephone, doesn't know anything about computers, right. engineering, nothing about technology. Yeah. This guy lives at the outskirts of the Asuncion, which is the capital. Okay. Um, and he lives in a house, beautiful home. Yeah. Beautiful garden, and that's it. He that's knows it. what electricity is, and that's it. that's it. Yeah. Great gardener, probably. Great gardener. That's it. <laughs> so I paid him a hundred dollars a week. Okay. Uh, which is fairly is a little bit over minimal wage in Paraguay. And we sit down every day in the garden with my he, laptop. He'd sit with you. Yeah, we sit down every day. You got a laptop and he's got a... And he had a screen that, uh, uh, that I put on for, for so you can see the words. Okay. And 12 hours a day, every day. Really? Translate it. I had to show him some of the stuff. Um, well, we did the translation we did in English. And Spanish, I mean, because it gives you the option on Poodle to do it. And I'll explain it to him, what it was, and then he will tell me back. And sometimes we had, obviously we ran into the issue that we don't, there's a lot of words in Guarani that don't exist for... Right, you can, there's not a one-to-one -one mapping. There's not a one-to-one -one mapping. So we had to create slowly some of the words. Sometimes we left them in English or in Spanish, because that's actually... Um, People already know that about in the country, so it wouldn't make sense to recreate what something what someone already knows what it yeah. is. Like words like password, internet, mouse, stuff like that, right? right? And that's what we did, man. Every day, twelve hours a 12 day. Hours How a many day? days? Seven days a week. How many weeks? Six months. Six months, seven Six days months. a week, twelve hours a day. Twelve hours. You a day. and an old guy I go, I sitting in the garden, sitting in the garden, translating LibreOffice. That's it. I will go back home after that. There's a lot of words that repeat themselves on while you're doing a translation. So I will get that word translated once and then I'll go back home and I'll speed up the process again. I'll translate all those words or that word that repeats, I don't know, a thousand times inside the program, right? And uh, we ran into tons of issues, man. Tons. Um, translating word, like what would be um, uh, writer. What it would be writer, it was fairly simple. I mean, not simple, but it was easy to get into. Once we got into uh, calc, or the equivalent of uh, Excel, it gets pretty tricky. Yeah. You have equations, you have economics, right. you have all Forget these crazy math stuff. And we had sentences that were huge that we had to translate. It's never been done. Not even the Paraguayan government has ever done it before. And we just started doing it. Yeah. Um, so and, did you do it? And we did it. You did it. Well, I well, I basically so I tra LibreOffice comes with a, a writer, impress, calc, draw, draws um, like a sketch app or something. Like a sketch app, you can create, you can edit PDFs and stuff like right. that, right? Um, and then he has database and formula. So I was like, no way, I'm not going to do all of it. It doesn't make sense. So I did the first four. All right, I didn't yeah. do formula or math. A little bit I did it. I didn't finish it. So I eventually I did 60% of the job. And while I was creating... In the six-month time period? In six months. So while I was doing the, the translation, uh, I forgot to say this, but Guarani, the grammar, um, or the, it uses a Roman alphabet, a Latin alphabet, plus some extra letters, I guess you could say. It uses six extra letters, okay? okay? With, with an accent. Really, I mean, it's not much. Sure. But it's a, you have to... It's not easy to use it on the keyboard, you know? Right. So I was frustrated at the time when I was doing the translation. So I created the own, the first Guarani keyboard layout 
for of course, Ubuntu, you gotta be typing and, and then I and then I went for Mac, and then did for Windows. Nice. Um, so I started doing that, and I was able to finish it. I mean, I'm yeah. not finished, but reached my goal at least. And so the the big picture goal is you want to give people who only speak Warren access to Office. Yes. So that they can actually have careers. Well, at least. Or at least the ability to uh, change it. To, yeah. to learn it, maybe in Guarani, and then like, learn to learn in Spanish. But at least right, right, right. they can use the tool, right? So what was that like? Where do you like put that into LibreOffice? Is there like a file that has all the strings in it? Or are you like actually editing the source code? Uh, no. To translate in LibreOffice, all you have to do is, is really simple. Yeah. Um, you just have, you just got to have the time. You go to this website, which is uh, based on Poodle. Poodle is like similar to TransFX. I don't know if you ever heard of it. No. Uh, the word shows up, you translate it. Done. You don't have to code. You don't got to know any of that stuff. Very okay. simple. Very simple uh, GUI. That's nice. That's, that's it. So 60%, 60 in six months. Plus, I had to do revisions. I had to go back and do it. So and I, then I, the job was done. Like, what happened next? The job was done? Or like, they all so, lift, did they lift you up on their shoulders and carry well, you into town? No, not really, actually. <laughs> so I do. That's so too I, bad. So during while I was doing the work, I tried to get private uh, institutions and the government to help me out, and Nothing? no, no go. If they couldn't see it, they're not gonna help you out. It wouldn't. It didn't make sense. It's like, well, why would you do that when you could just use it in Spanish? Right. But didn't you tell them that most them, people but, don't know Spanish? Uh, it's a waste of time. Okay. It was done. How many? Uh, you gave me a percentage. Ninety percent. Or what's the number of people that don't know Spanish but only know Guarani? Okay, so statistics goes like this. 90% 90, 90 of the country speaks Guarani, and they're bilingual in that sense. Okay. Okay. 40% don't speak Spanish. Don't speak Spanish. And most of those people live in the smaller town or the villages. And then you have six, and then 30% of Paraguayan speak Spanish. Uh, Guarani is the first language. And they, and they also speak Spanish. That's the second language. But the information they absorb in Spanish, it doesn't stay. It's minuscule, okay. So, in a way, it's kind of useless. Yeah. Right? They so, get, give me raw numbers then, like how many people live in Paraguay? Like, give okay, me Paraguay a, has 7 million. 7 million? Yeah, it's a smaller country. Still, but in raw, I mean, think about that many humans. Yeah. It's a good number of people. Okay, continue. You're telling me what happened with the funding. You're trying to get some funding afterwards. Okay, so after a year of. Uh, talking to the government, to the Paraguayan government, there's uh, well, they call it in Spanish uh, secretary. Um, or what am I trying to look? Like a ministry of uh, political and uh, linguistics. That's what it's called. Okay. Okay. Um, after a long time, I finally got them, or they finally they decided to help me uh, finish the translation. Previously, they have done. The translation of Firefox to Guarani, which is a much smaller project, which was it's good and it's necessary. Sure. Um, and now we started doing the so you're gonna with the LibreOffice, and with that we're trying to standardize the language as well now um, and modernize it a little bit too. Yeah. So you're uh, you're funded, and this is your work now. How long was that going to last? You think? Uh, well, this just happened recently, like two months ago. Okay. Um, so we're kind of going there. It's slow, you know, a little bit slow. Everything that's government is always slow. So, how does that bring you to OSCON London? Like, tell me that. Uh, I just moved to London two, okay. two weeks ago. Oh, you hate moving. I hate moving. <laughs> and I, 
I, I saw that on the Liberal Office mailing list they were looking for a volunteer to be a Oscan and I figured why not come here and, and yeah. the network and it's working out. Very cool. And I'm here with you now and I get yeah. to know you. That's awesome. Great story. Anything else that you want to say with regard to LibreOffice or the conference or your efforts? Yes. Or? So that was the first part of LibreOffice. Uh, LibreOffice, I, I mean, I always liked the whole Linux world and stuff like that. And I always thought of Linux is just coding, pure coding. Um, and it's not like that. There's tons of possibilities in, within op open source, truly, you know? Yeah. Um, you can do the translation, you can do journalism, you can do presentations you can do I mean it's infinite and yeah. that's one thing I learned over this past few years and and LibreOffice has helped me out with that you know and yeah um, tons of ways to get involved lots of ways, ways to help others yeah, tons of ways never and any nicer of work to curriculum do. much nicer yeah stands out well I mean just I think it stands out on a resume for sure even more so just the story of how you how you stuck with it and yes. like got it done that's an achievement that no one can really take away from you. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. You mentioned it before we started, but you didn't mention it on the air, which is that in addition to like the user interface and all those other things, is that there's also the dictionary and the yes. thesaurus. So I did uh, recently, before I moved out of Paraguay this year, I went to the library and I bought a small book, not uh, small, it's fairly big actually, of uh, thesaurus, a thesaurus dictionary. And I sit down every day and I copy left and right. So I guess I'll be the first Guanita Soros for Office. So any, any, any application that uses um, uh, a spell checker? A spell or checker. A I believe it's called OTX or OXT. I can't remember the name of the extension. Can use it. So it's not just limited to LibreOffice. Um, and I mentioned I did the keyboard layout. I want to do the, my main goal would be to do the dictionary and the autocorrect, but that's a huge project. I don't think I can do that by myself anymore. Dictionaries are big. Yes, because especially autocorrect, because one word you can conjugate in a hundred ways. Yeah. So here's an idea: you should get more old men, more old men, to sit with you and help you out. I think a team would be probably a nice thing to have. Yeah. It takes. I mean, I couldn't have done this without money and. A lot of people think because it's open source, it should be free. Right. And it could be free, but there's a cost. Yeah. Uh, nothing is nothing is free. Right. Nothing is free. If it was free, it wouldn't exist, right? It wouldn't exist. It would not exactly. be a warranting yeah. translation. Awesome. Thanks so much for telling your story, man. Yeah, man. That was that's a blast. Thanks, man. Pleasure. That was fun. Thanks again to our friends at OzCon for making that trip possible. Heading out to OzCon London was a blast. Had a lot of fun, talked to a lot of people. Keep an eye out for more conversations from OzCon London on Spotlight. Head to changelaw.com slash spotlight. Click subscribe, don't miss a show. And next up is our friend Stu Karov, who started a Linux user group for kids called the Asian Penguins. Love this story. Nothing gets me more excited than teaching kids how to program, getting them involved, getting their minds thinking about things like this. They learn to install, use, and configure Linux and open source software. How hacker is that? Let's take a listen. So let's start off with, uh, tell me your name, where you're from. 
My name is Stu Kiroff, and I'm from St. Paul, Minnesota. And Stu, you know, you stopped by the booth yesterday. As I mentioned before, we're here on behalf of All Things Open, producing this podcast series, kind of shining a spotlight into this conference, into the community around this conference, but more importantly, helping to share the the interesting stories uh, from people like you that come here and speak or attend. And you've got a, a, a talk coming up here in a bit, and you told me the story about uh, middle schoolers hacking on Linux, making, you know, repurposing basically what what some might consider trash, trash computer. They turn that computer into a usable Linux computer and they give it away to somebody who's in need. That's the, that's the snapshot of your story uh, mm-hmm. to a degree. Um, Absolutely. Help us understand what is the school you work at again and what is this mission? The name of the school is Community School of Excellence. We're a K through eight charter school in St. Paul, and our focus for a school is Hmong language and culture integration. Um, I'm not sure if your listeners are aware of this, but the city of St. Paul has a very high population of of Hmong either refugees or children of refugees. And so as a result of that, we've had several uh, charter schools catering to the Hmong community spring up and Community School of Excellence is one of those. And so at what point did you begin this program that uh, that we're gonna talk about now? Uh, The program started in 2012. Did you start it then? I did. Okay. And the way that this started was our school was beginning a one-to-one laptop program using Windows laptops. Very shortly into the program, we started coming across the problem that a lot of the kids were breaking their laptops, and we really didn't have a plan for what to do about that. And it was in, it was difficult for me to try to integrate tech into my class if the kids did not have tech, because they broke it, they lost it, they forgot to charge it last night, they didn't bring it to school. So I went and got a hardware grant from a nonprofit in Minneapolis called Free Geek Twin Cities. Now, among other things, they recycle computers using Linux as the operating system. That gave me four Linux desktop PCs in my room for the kids to use who didn't have the laptops. And from there, we had this club grow out of it because kids started coming back to my room after school to use the computers while they were waiting for the after-school program to start. And they, they, they loved the fact that it was Linux was fast, it was eye-catching, it was different than what they were used to using. Um, it worked while the laptop they broke didn't work anymore. Uh, so there were a lot of things about it they really liked. And... I couldn't leave until 4.30. Their program didn't start till 4.30. So I thought, okay, if I'm stuck with you guys for 20 minutes, let's at least try to get something out of it. How about we learn how these computers actually work? And the kids said, yeah, sure, that sounds like fun. And so we started doing hardware and software lessons. And from there, I taught them how to install apps, how to, uh, eventually we did an install fest one day where we replaced the operating system and upgraded all the computers. And a club started to form out of that. All the kids were Asian. The mascot of Linux is a penguin. So I said, you know what? This this group ought to have a name. What do you guys think of Asian penguins? And they all loved it. And we've, we've used that ever since. I asked you yesterday, too, because I was like, why Asian penguins? And you, you described to me, you said Hmong. And they're, tell me again about the, the students who go to the school and, and their, uh, their circumstances in life. Oh, of course. You mentioned poverty. Uh, I'm not really sure what the circumstances are. Fair question. Um, uh, the, the Hmong people are um, are a group of folks who are from more like the rural hill, hill areas of Laos, Vietnam, Thailand, and southern China. Um, and they're refugees. Re- yes. And it happens to be a lot in 
St. Paul, Minnesota. That is correct. Okay. First wave of, of those refugees started coming to the United States in 1975, and, and a lot of them settled right in St. Paul. And then we had successive waves after that, and, and so we have... Uh, per capita, we have the largest Hmong population in the United States, is in Minnesota. Now, in addition to that, we have a more recent group of, of refugees that have come in from a different war, uh, from you know, from Burma, and that is the Kareni people. And now about 12, no, I'm sorry, 15% of our school this year is Kareni. So we actually have two different people groups from Southeast Asia there. And so the name still applies, though? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. the name still applies. Just, this doesn't really matter as part of the bigger story, but what happens when it doesn't apply? Will you change the name? Um, we've talked about that, and um, actually what what we want to see happen this you year call them, is... Like, hacker penguins, maybe, well, instead and, of Asian penguins. Well, we've toyed with a few different things. We think what we're going to do, and this will actually be, be more applicable when that first school other than ours decides they want a Linux club too. Right. What we've decided is we're going to form a larger umbrella organization that uh, chapters can function under, but each chapter will be free to call themselves whatever they like. We will probably conti uh, continue to stick with Asian Penguins and other schools that if they wish to come on with us, can choose the name for themselves and we'll be part of a large organization. At least that's the goal. Yeah, when I listened to your story yesterday, and I, I had some time over the evening to think about it a bit more. I just could not stop thinking about how hacker it is. You know, like, uh, as you know, I, I mentioned it's right here on our banner. Uh, we recently did a revamp of our brand and we sat down in a room. We hunkered down for two days straight with no computers, no cell phones. And we, this is a year ago, in a branding session to figure out who we are as an organization, who we wanted to be in the future. And, uh, and what it really came down to was people and stories that get to the heart. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously we're hackers. The changelog is all about open source software development, uh, connecting that with software development communities and the people aspect. So it, it came to me that, you know, our brand is around hacker to the heart. And so that's where, we, that's where we're at. And I couldn't think of anything, in my opinion, more hacker than what you've done with these children to have that spare 20 minutes and not waste it and use it well and teach them about technology and invite them into that, especially children who are part of families who are, who are refugees and who need love and who need acceptance and, and invitation and, and and education, frankly, you know? Absolutely. And, and you created this program around hack, helping them learn how to hack around Linux, basically. Mm -hmm. can, you, can you give me more details around the, the um, maybe the technical sides of it, some of the things they do, some of the things they've learned over the years. Okay. Since okay. it's from 2012, it's we've got several years, and, right? And we've, and, and we've actually tried approaching a few different things in that time. Um, the first and most immediate thing is, is that we want every kid in the club to at least once experience installing the operating system itself. When people go to a store and they buy a computer, a lot of them simply just take it as is. They, you know, it's the default choice, whatever it came with. That's what it has. Why would it have anything else? And we and we try to take the mystery away from that. We hand them a flash drive and say, no, this computer doesn't have any of that. It's been wiped completely clean. You're going to put it there. So every kid in the, in the, the club, you know, at minimum does that. Uh, but from there then we have them learning how to install the apps and configure the apps that we want the computers to have depending on where they're going there'll be different packages of apps uh, and teach them you know all the you know, a few different ways to make sure the apps 
get onto the computer. It's like, well, you can use the app store for your distro. That's one way, and it's easy. You can you can use GDebbie and you know for things that aren't in in the the software store, but you still want the the computer to have. And you can use the terminal window. You're going to experience all three. And so they can see what the differences are and how each one is going to apply in different circumstances. Uh, depending on the hardware available, sometimes kids are also doing things like installing hard drives or RAM, uh, depending on what the machine needs. Because, uh, uh, again, we don't always have time to do these things, you know, just for kicks. So, you know, it's like generally if we're working on a computer, it's because we have a plan for it. Um, but we've had kids also installing video cards in the past, and we've had so a few different odds and ends like that. And then there's also, you know, just troubleshooting and, and testing things to make sure everything actually works. Right. What, uh, I'm curious, what flavor of Linux? Um, we have used uh, Ubuntu ever since we started. Uh, you know, it's like everybody's got their own opinion about which distro is their favorite, and that was the one that I was using at the time we started. It was the one that um, our first computers came with from FreeGeek, even though actually they, they don't use Ubuntu anymore now. They use Zubuntu, which which is pretty cool, too. Um, and But as far as our technology plan for the school, it is worded as... Um, our school now says we are one school with three platforms, Windows, iOS, and Linux. So the door is always open to us to change to something else. And I've actually had the, um, oh, it was a week or two ago? Yeah, it was like two weeks ago. Um, we had, uh, for our club meeting that week, it was a lesson on different distros or versions of Linux. And so I had computers set up with like six or seven of them around the room and so the kids were supposed to just go around and try each one out so they could see what's the same what's different and just and get that that message that since linux and open source are about freedom you have the freedom to make this look and distribute it the way you want it to be and there are other options too right yeah but we've we've traditionally used ubuntu and the kids like it so there's been no no questions about that gotcha ubuntu is my flavor I love it. I, I love it. We actually just had Dustin Kirkland on uh, the changelog recently talking about Ubuntu everywhere mm -hmm. and how you have Ubuntu and all over the place. Their recent partnership with Microsoft, putting Bash uh, on Windows and, and that fun story there. So, Did the gentleman mention any plans about putting an Ubuntu phone in North America available for sale? He did not. Darn. Okay. We wait. Uh, all right. But they do say Ubuntu everywhere, so yep. I imagine it's part of their plan <laughs> at some point. I'm still waiting. i got to upgrade my phone. So this story, it, it struck me as interesting for many reasons. One, children is, you know, educating the younger hacker generation to me is like, and you began this out of the kindness and goodness of your own heart. I didn't even ask you what kind of teacher or involvement you had at the school was. What, what was your primary reason? At the time. Reason? At the time, I was a middle school social studies teacher. Okay. So you're, um, you're a social studies teacher yeah. who, who says, I've got a spare 20 minutes. I'm going to lend a hand to these children and eventually evolve this into this club and now potentially even a movement. And my hope is that we help you share this story because what I think is, uh, and, you, and you know this as well, but I think that there's something you've done that's very beautiful and very magical and very perfect for the hacker heart, and that's where we're coming from, to share this story as a success story for other schools or other places to follow and potentially, you know, take what you've done here with Asian Penguins in your school and help others adopt the same kind of practices and the same kind of uh, commitment to 
the younger generation hacker teaching them mm-hmm. and giving them not only the the education, but there's another part of this, which is the recyclability of these machines. So you have corporations, and I'm telling part of your story for you, but so fill in the gaps when when uh, when you feel like it. But you've got corporations, you've got people, you've got other, you know, you got machines out there that basically oh, yeah, are absolutely. are trash to them. They're getting ready to donate or give it away or throw it away, and, and you're repurposing this with Linux machines. Absolutely, and that uh, has uh, become the the core of our community donation program. In 2013, um, we started uh, looking around at our school and and talking about our own digital divide, and we knew that that there were lots of kids that went to our school that you know didn't have a computer, and uh, you know the main reason is cost. You know, if you are a recent uh, you know immigrant to the United States, you're you're you know, and you've just come fresh out of that refugee camp in Thailand and you're still trying to make your way in the new world, you know what, a computer's just not gonna happen, okay? You can't afford it. It's low on your list. Exactly, it's like, you know, that computer on sale at Best Buy, it might as well be on the moon. It's, It's just not possible especially if you've got a number of kids, and many of these kids come from large families. So about 30% of our kids at the time, um, if my friend's survey is to be believed, yeah, it's probably pretty close, uh, didn't have computers at home. So we said, you know, Free Geek can do something about this. Maybe we can too. So we got a hold of some some used computers, and then we found some families to help. And I had the kids install all the software because I thought, yeah, it'll be more meaningful if you guys did it. And that's really, I want to see us go in that direction. So I had a couple kids, you know, come in to my room and work on the computers, get them all ready to go. Uh, and we started giving computers away. And what we found was is that the more that we did that, the more the kids wanted to do it because they wanted to be involved in something that was helping others. Um, <clears throat> last week... We spoke at uh, the MEA conference, which is uh, the big state teachers convention in Minnesota. And one of our speakers on that uh, on that team was uh, a seventh grade boy uh, named Lee Ray. Now, Lee Ray is a Kareni student. And last year, he joined the Asian Penguins and was also a recipient of one of our computers because like any other kid, at school, um, or at least like a lot of kids at school, he qualified for the program. Now, what I didn't plan, it was kind of weird, um, when it came time for uh, his turn to go on a mission, it just happened that his name was also the one drawn for who was going to get the computer that week, so he ended up being on the team that was delivering it to his own house. That was So he was translating to his mother that day. It was really funny, but, uh, wow. but that, that turned out great for him. The, so this year, we made him part of our speaking team. When I asked him about what he liked about the Asian penguins, he said, I like giving computers to people who can't afford computers. He speaks from experience because he was one of those kids. He was a recipient. Absolutely. And he also helped build the same machine he, he yeah. got to receive. And, and the Asian penguins now gives a kid like him the opportunity to be the generous one. Because now he gets to turn around and help other kids. I mean, how cool is that? That's cool. Yeah. So one one uh, thing I want to have as an artifact from this conversation is, one, awareness of the community that you've done this very selfless act that has turned into this, what I, I hope becomes a movement, honestly. And I, and I hope that uh, you can help others who have the same desire or the same care for doing something similar 
to essentially have a copy of your recipe. You know, whether it's something you write down, whether it's something you go and speak, you're here at All Things Open, you're giving a talk here at 3.30, so you're sharing that with this community, and this podcast is a part of the series we're doing for the conference. So ultimately, I was really hoping that you can share with me any ideas you have for how to repeat this elsewhere. Sure. And, and oh. if, if, if there is any repetition happening or, or plan to happening, how can they get in touch with you or what's the plan for repeating this model okay well let's 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 start at the finish line is how they can get in touch with me uh people can follow me on twitter it's at stu Karoff, so it's at s-t-u-k-e-r-o-f-f uh my email address uh at the school is stuart k at c-s-e-m-n dot o-r-g and you can check out all of the information about the Asian penguins on our website, which is www.asianpenguins.org. Uh, so that's how you can get in touch with us and find out more about the program. But as far as how to replicate it, the, the first thing that has to happen is, is that you, you do have to have an adult that wants to be a risk taker and wants to plow in and learn how to make this work. Um, I love Robert Litt's example because he uh, he's a teacher in the Oakland School District in California who started the computer lab at his school with recycled hardware and open source software and did it all for free. His school couldn't afford anything. And he said, and I quote, when I started, I didn't know a darn thing. Wow. Now, when I started the Asian Penguins, I did know a few things about Linux because I had been using it for uh, maybe five years at that point. Um, but I think the big thing was is that I was willing to, 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 to learn more about it and be willing to share what I've learned. Okay, um, The kids will simply respond to somebody who's willing to share what they know. You don't have to be uh, a developer. You don't have to be a sysadmin. You have to be somebody who loves kids and you're willing to learn a few things and share what you know. Second, um, you, you do need to have some way of getting... Uh, computers to work on. Your school might be in the process of doing its own upgrader or you know, recycle, and you could be doing them a favor by taking computers off of the IT department's hands that they don't need anymore. Right. As the first people, people I would ask, because our IT department has provided me with computers. Yeah. Um, but corporations in your area, thrift stores, eBay, um, uh, most uh, most states will have some sort of uh, surplus exchange where state agencies retire computers and then they're sold to qualifying state agencies. The Asian penguins have gotten computers from every one of those sources, and so can other people. Okay? So figure out where your computers can come from. They're out there. Don't think, I, you know, it's like, where am I going to get computers? People ask. are upgrading all the time. Yeah. Just ask. Okay? Every year, every two years, they, you know. Absolutely. And it could potentially even be. A, a write-off potentially, depending upon your school situation, mm -hmm. or if it's a, a nonprofit school, or if you have yeah. somebody who can be, you know, there's a way for a nonprofit essentially to adopt your, your mission and take that Absolutely. donation on your behalf and give it to you as a as a grant or something like that. You know, well, and especially a school because most, if I mean, if you're a public school. Um, you know, a charter school in particular, guess what? You're a nonprofit entity, right. okay? You can take donations, all right? You can give people a receipt for the stuff they give you, and they can deduct it from their taxes, and everybody wins. Um, but once you start doing that, then you need to give the, uh, the kids an opportunity to play with the software, use the software, have fun with the software, and once they 
once they see what it's like, then give them an opportunity to add to things. Give them an opportunity to install things. Give them an opportunity to, to uh, take the lid off of the computer and try adding RAM or a video card to it or something like that. Uh, the kids will love doing all of that stuff because uh, there's, you know, the devices they use nowadays, you know, like, like phones and tablets, they don't open. Okay, yeah. and they're used to the idea. They're magic that, screens, basically, that yeah. have nothing inside them. Exactly, for, and, as far as they're concerned. Well, and and you take a look at adults with their computers. The you know the the top of the computer, the, that case, it's not supposed to open. What are you doing? And Don't it's touch like, that. No. Yeah, it's that's the family computer. Don't touch it. it. Yeah, you know, it's like well, you know, so it's like I you love can, it. You encourage this hacker heart. That's like, I mean, I, I think this is such a cool story that you've done this, and uh, I, I really, really. Uh, would desire you to, and I really hope that you can through this show, through you know through this audio too. But you know, in more ways than one, share the knowledge you have so that others can repeat it, mm -hmm. and be and be someone to call upon when they have questions. I don't want to put too much burden on you, but it seems like you have a pretty big heart for this. Send me the questions. I would love to talk to people about this, particularly folks that want to try doing this themselves. Listen. We are the first Hmong school in the world to have a Linux users group, and I cannot find too many examples of middle schools that are doing anything similar. I found one program in New York State that's doing something with open source, but it's kind of it's a different model. There's right. there's is cool. I don't I'm not dissing it, but it's like I'm not finding a lot of examples uh, that that mirror what we do, and we neither want nor need to be the only ones. Um, I want to see Linux clubs, I want to see open source clubs spring up at other schools so that my kids have somebody to network and to partner with and wow. to communicate with and to, and to build community through technology. Yeah. So those are some of our goals. Send me the questions. I, I'm not afraid of that. Awesome. Bring it on. Well, Stu, in closing, um, you know the audience. As I mentioned, it's the audience of all things open. It's the audience of the changelog. Uh, we're going to put our full weight behind sharing these stories from this conference. What haven't I asked you that you want to share that you know this community needs to hear? Um, there's, there, there is, there's one more thing I, I, I want to mention, and that is most of the pitch that I've made with the Asian Penguins when we talk about this is to other schools. Our pitch today is slightly different because there really are not that many representatives of schools at this conference. These, these are folks that work in the software and hardware industry uh, for the most part, okay? Um, what I want to encourage people here to do is to reach out to those organizations or schools in their area um, to find out if there's interest in doing something like this um, in a place where it doesn't already exist, okay? Call your local school. Check out charter schools in your area to see if they, if they want something like this in their after-school program. Donate computers to a, to a church or a synagogue or a mosque. Network with a nonprofit agency that helps to resettle recent immigrants and refugees. You know, be a technovangelist, okay? If you believe in the code that you're using, then be the messenger for it. That's my message. Awesome, Stu. Thank you so much for taking your time with us, man. I appreciate it. It's, right. it's a beautiful story. And uh, to the listeners out there listening to this, 
Uh, take this story, run with it, share it with whomever you can. I think it's awesome. Thank you so much, Stu. All right. Thank you very much. You have a great day. You too. Thanks again to Justin Dorfman, who made the connection from us to all things open, specifically Todd Lewis. Todd, you're awesome. Thank you so much for including us in your awesome, awesome conference, allthingsopen.org. Go there, check it out. But next up, we've got no other than Shia Lu on how China does Node. As I mentioned before in the intro, software development is very different in China, pretty much because of the slow translations of documentation and books from English to Chinese, but also because of this great firewall of China you've heard about. It's a censorship and surveillance project by the government. It makes it very hard to do the internet, basically. Let's take a listen. My name is Shia. I am from China. Uh, I moved to the U.S. when I was 14 and I stayed there for about eight years and then I moved back to China for a year. Um, and yeah, now here we are. Uh, I've already been back for about a year or so. So um, that's why I'm here at the conference to share a little bit about my experience uh, transitioning between the two worlds. So for those out there in the developer world, we you know, in any world, really, we hear about news from other countries, mm -hmm. right? And we, I, I've definitely heard about, but hadn't looked too deeply into because I guess because it didn't matter to me, I guess, mm -hmm. to a degree. Yeah. Not so much like in a negative way, but like right. it didn't impact my day-to-day -day life, so I didn't look much further to it. But right. I've heard about mm -hmm. the Great Firewall in China, right. and I, I'm aware of this. I'm aware that China is a communist country, and uh, you have different ways you live there than we do here in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, but for the web, we're sort of like a global economy, right? right. We're a global right. people. Exactly where our national borders define us and and separate us. But on the web, we're a bit more like family. Right. So kind of give me a, a peek into your experience then, having lived in and grown up in China, then mm -hmm. move here and then move back. And what's been your experience with, with right. the way we do the internet, I guess? Right. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to start off by saying that China isn't really a communist country. Uh, oh, it's but, not. <laughs> no. So, uh, where, where, where does that come from? I, I guess because the central party is called communist party, but it's not exactly what you would picture what a communist regime is like. Right. Uh, although I don't really want to talk much about no, politics. Just, I'm glad you correct me yeah, there. I don't, yeah. I don't want to put any misinformation out there. Mm -hmm. It's not my intent. Okay. Okay. So, um, so my experience has been in, I, well, I came to the U.S. in 2007. Uh, and at that time, the Great Firewall wasn't really built yet. So, so everything was open. Facebook was uh, available. Wikipedia was. And uh, I, I logged on to all these uh, websites uh, back home. But uh, about in 2008 and onwards, um, the Great Firewall started getting built. It was uh, started getting built. And um, it's been perfected over the years. <laughs> and, and more and more websites. Um, at first, it was just Facebook and Twitter. And then it added up to Gmail and uh, Google and uh, a lot of other big, big uh, websites that you would use day-to-day -day, right. life in the U.S. Um, so that causes a lot of uh, trouble in, in uh, the developer world because if everyone's used to use um, like you know Google CDN or put a Facebook login on your on your site, that is just never going to work in China because the mass majority actually don't have access to these uh, websites. So so um, I guess from transitioning from the two worlds, the biggest thing is that. Um, you have 
Uh, the the biggest thing is that like you have to change your habits a lot uh, from from googling to like using Bing or okay. <laughs> Baidu, um, and 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 basically kind of lose contact with your friends on Facebook mm -hmm. because it just slows you down so, so much these more. networks that we're so used to using mm -hmm. are actually our bubbles right yeah and we don't think about it like that we think that we create our own bubbles by choosing our friends on networks or whatever or communities that we're involved in mm -hmm. I guess just by choosing one like Google mm -hmm. so Bing works in China then yeah how do they get around it? Well, uh, Microsoft is, uh, has a pretty good relations with the Chinese But government. Google doesn't. Google doesn't. Uh. But Google uh, is more of an internet company, and Microsoft started off as a software company. Right. And that is how the basis went. So give me the basis of your talk then. So mm -hmm. you, you're obviously sharing some of your experiences with living behind a right. firewall, living behind basically... Well, how, what would you call that? Separation? Mm -hmm. How do you describe this firewall and what it does to the community behind it? Okay, um, so it's a very common practice in for developers uh, to log on to a VPN that, that goes to the, across the borders every day for work. And that's like something, the first thing that you do every day to, right. to start working. Um, and for us, um, in the beginning, it, it's actually okay, since if, as long as you're on VPN, you can have access on everything. Uh, but but uh, VPN has always been on the hunt. Um, it's on the, the what? Like, are, are, we're on the hunt by by either the security department. They're, they're looking for you. Right, right. Okay, gotcha. So so like I was using one when I when just went back, and then three months later it closed. So I had to use another service, um, and a lot of my friends set up their own for servers. I just uh, I just ended up using some some, uh, some services, and they um, is. Uh, Constantly unstable, and um, you have to you have to look for the newest, best ones. Okay. <laughs> and so, I guess the thing I'm trying to figure out is that uh, outside of the personal experience you've had mm -hmm. as a developer, as someone trying to like build stuff, right? right. You know, maybe I wouldn't say maybe I say for sure mm -hmm. here in the United States or even other countries outside of China, I guess that from this example that we're used to, if there's information. Mm -hmm. For how to be a better software developer, right? We we pretty much have access to it if it's open, right? Right. right, right. But that's not the case for China, right? Um, I would say that the first lesson for software developers is how to connect to <laughs> VPN, okay. uh, um, and and then uh, I think the biggest barrier there still though is language, much less of uh, the the. Uh, much less of like developer experience in terms of whether you can get across because as for us developers we can always get across right I was uh, taking notice to something that's near and dear to us here mm -hmm. at this conference we're at Node Interactive obviously around a Node conference mm -hmm. anybody who is in the Node community right. knows what NPM is right, right so right. seeing C NPM which mm -hmm. is China's NPM so you have the language barrier but then you also have this firewall barrier mm -hmm. right um, talk about the the language barrier first clearly any uh, you know from here to South America right. there's a there's a language barrier from right. here to China there's a language barrier from right. here to Germany there's a so there's a language barrier everywhere how mm -hmm. what is your example of of experiencing this language barrier right um, I think the language barrier is only an issue where in countries that don't use English as the working language um, and, and in China um, you're 
a, a framework or an open source project like Node is only going to be popular if it has Chinese documentation right. and uh, advocates in China. So very luckily for, for Node, uh, there was a, a few very early adopters in China who wrote books on Node, and that's what people base their base their learnings and studying from. And um, in and and. People and I, and I see a lot more people reading books than and then reading online documentations. Really? Wow! So they actually have a in hand physical book yes. versus online documentation. Right. Solve that problem, somebody. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So what are the? How current are these books? Like, where do they get? How often does a popular or somewhat popular software development book get translated? Um. I would say it depends on. I'm not sure how exactly how it works, but but I think the more popular like O'Reilly books, they have like translation in the pipeline as soon as it's released. Right. Um, so they're released in English. Do they release all other languages too? Or <laughs> you said earlier the reason why I asked that question is because you said working language, which means I think what you mean by that is if I'm a professional mm-hmm. and I'm doing work or something work related or something like that, then. When you go to work, right. you, speak you speak English. English. Yeah, that's not the case in China. Nope. Is that? Are you familiar with other countries? How often it's not the working language? Um, for example, Japan. It's uh, one of the bigger countries with right. a, uh, English as a working language. So uh, when people in Japan they they don't go to, to work and speak Japanese, they go to work and speak English primarily. Oh no, I, they they would speak Japanese. But they would read English. Would, um, it depends on the company. Right. So Autodesk, as a uh, as an international company right. that's primarily U.S. based, um, most of our coworkers, even in China and Japan, um, would speak uh, professional English uh, and write and write pretty good English. But it is uh, harder beyond that. It's uh, harder to uh, make pleasantries in English. Right. Right. So with your talk, what was uh, what were you really trying to? make people aware of like what was the core goal for you okay so um while i was in the u.s i also never consider how there are certain websites are inaccessible in china so right. so when like i built my own site i just uh used like google cdn or or like facebook logins and, and all these features but then when i when i'm you know, back in China, it's such a big problem, and and also there, there's so many internet users in China that it's it just can't get ignored, and the practice of people getting around these problems are very counterintuitive than what we believe in um, that 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 are good practices in web development. I, I guess this talk is really just for people to be aware. That there are these caveats that you need to think about when when you have visitors from from other countries. Um, there's, there's so many people using the internet in China right now that that you're just gonna get so much more volume if uh, if you have a website that's China friendly. China friendly. Yeah. It's a good thing. I like that. China friendly. <laughs> I'm China friendly. I mean, I want to be. I want friendly with everybody. Um, we're obviously at a developer conference. Right. I'm thinking to myself as you're saying that. Who does that matter most to? Right? It's almost like when you say accessibility to the web. If I don't have an application that has a, a lot of users who maybe have accessibility problems, right? I, and language is definitely one of them. To me, it's like for developers, totally makes sense that we should have translations. It totally makes sense for O'Reilly to ship a book, mm-hmm. not only in English but in any other native native language where there's a need for it. Mm-hmm. Um, this message you're sharing about uh, 
about the language barrier, about being able to tap into the large China audience, mm-hmm. uh, who does that come up most to? Is it developers? Is it, you know, obviously when someone like Facebook builds what they build, you know, their, their, their network, mm-hmm. they're going to think, well, we should probably make it as accessible to anybody in the world as they can. Right. Right. But, but who does this matter most to, I guess, this, this idea you're sharing? Um, I think it's for, for us uh, as a company, uh, Autodesk has a lot of customers and partners in, in China. Mm-hmm. And uh, however, uh, a lot of the engineering teams are in the U.S. And so when they were developing, they weren't thinking about a lot of, in the beginning, wow. they weren't thinking about these users in China. And so if you already have a current if you're not thinking about the China market, it's fine. Right. But That's what if, I mean. Like if it's if it's not a part of your business model, right, I guess kind of what I was really thinking. Matter. Like yeah. not that it doesn't matter by any means, but just like if it's uh, if it's not my focus. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If if you have already have customers in China, right. then you should be thinking about them. But see, personally, it is of interest to me because I had never considered it, and we run podcasts. Mm-hmm. I want everybody to listen to it. Now, naturally I speak, I speak English. That's my primary language. Um, so I don't think it'd be worth it to me to have my podcast translated. Right. However, we could transcript them, which we are doing. Mm-hmm. And those could easily be transcribed to different languages if we wanted to. But it is important to me to be inclusive to the whole world, mm-hmm. including China, of right. course. I mean, you have so many people there. I would want anyone there who cares about the things we care about, which is open source, software development, open community, inclusivity, mm-hmm. you know, diversity, all those things that we really care about. I'd want them to be able to listen to my shows too. So yep. for someone like me who uses um, Fastly as our CDN, mm-hmm. which is a US-based company, what, what would happen if someone goes to changelaw.com? Our servers are Linode servers. Mm-hmm. They're based in the United States. Um, our CDN is an international CDN. Mm-hmm. How would someone from China be impacted by going to changelaw.com? Would they be able to listen to my shows? Would they not be able to? Uh, they will be able to. Um, we don't force me to use Facebook. <laughs> we don't use Google CDN. Mm-hmm. We have our own CDN. Okay, cool. Um, well, any server that's outside of the borders is right. going to be a bit slower than servers that are within the borders. So so um, you're, you're looking at a page load time of a couple of seconds instead of uh, milliseconds. Yeah, milliseconds for sure. Right. We focus on speed. Yeah. Uh, then, then you definitely would, would need to have a service in China. Plus, we built the website just for fun. Mm-hmm. We built it uh, in Elixir, which mm-hmm. is known to be pretty fast because mm-hmm. um, it sits on top of the Erlang VM. And right. uh, we use Phoenix the Web Framework. Mm-hmm. And we purposefully used uh, a smaller JavaScript footprint. Mm-hmm. You know, we purposely didn't use frameworks that would have more than we needed mm-hmm. just to have a couple of features of it. We actually wrote our own JavaScript for our own web player. Okay. So we did some things to kind of keep it fast for those mm-hmm. reasons. So for people like us or people that aspire to be like us to have that kind of um, that kind of focus with mm-hmm. speed and our own CDN, um, you know, what can they get right? I guess you know, using our own CDN that's obviously helpful. But right. you mentioned the speed barrier where. Uh, what's the speed roughly for outside the borders? Just curious. I it really depends on the it weather. Depends. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on the weather. Yeah, okay. Or, or it, um, I, I have no idea what the speed is um, related to to in terms of the different servers because it actually really changes depending on like really? events and political uh, events wow, in the country okay. sometimes even. So. so <laughs> 
this is a human thing. Like so, some human is doing this. It's, yeah. it's yeah. you say the weather, but it's really, it's, uh, it's the winds, <laughs> but it's, it's the political winds, so to speak. Right. So if I care about, um, if I care about the China market, uh, you know, internet, and I want to be open to those users there, those, those developers there, whomever, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you think about speed, that's one thing. Right. Uh, sure, the winds change and mm-hmm. that 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 happens. But aside from making a performance site, what else can I do to to be mindful of the speed barrier? So, so the best thing to do is always have a server within China, but it is very difficult actually. Um, so, for example, AWS just uh, got its license in China, uh, and to deploy on AWS, um, you need to be a registered company mm. in China. And have your all your paperwork ready. Uh, <laughs> um, small business is hard enough. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, and it's very difficult to, to incorporate something uh, okay. in, in, in China. So, um, so you're not making it any easier. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> wouldn't it be just easier? I mean, this is devil, devil's advocate in me saying this, mm-hmm. but wouldn't it be just easier to get rid of the firewall? Yeah. I, I Well, there's a lot uh, of... Well, what's the purpose of it? Like... Um, it, was it the people of China voting for this thing or desiring it, or was it something else? Like why? So, maybe this is a whole different subject you want to go into, but yeah. just share what you can share, I guess, about okay. what we could do about. Like, is that will okay. it ever go away? I guess is probably the bigger question, rather than like get you into an uncomfortable situation where you have to explain oh, okay. something that's just tough. Okay. Now, I'm not trying to put you in a corner and ask you that. I'm just okay. trying to figure out like why is getting rid of it not an option? Mm. So, um, so people in China can't really vote for it. Uh, we can't vote, <laughs> um, and but but the thing is, it, it started in two thousand and eight uh, mainly because people were using um, Facebook and Twitter to incite uh, protests, and and they sometimes become uh, pretty violent, uh, and and that was in two thousand and eight, right. and uh, in afterwards uh, it just got expanded, and anything that uh, anybody that. A company that, for example, Google, who would not cooperate with the government on certain, like, censoring uh, certain words searches, uh, they they would get kicked out of the country, basically. Right. And 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 they're not hesitant to even kick out kick out Google. So. <laughs> uh, well, so when you got your own version of it, right? Was you said Baidu? Yeah, that's Baidu, right. Baidu. Yes. Baidu. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you got Bing. So mm-hmm. good. Good job, Microsoft. <laughs> Uh, what else? What other search options do you have? Uh, you have like there's this company called 360 Search. This uh, company called Sogo, and there's a bunch of companies making their own search solutions. Right. Uh, my personal experience is that they never really compare to Google on how, on how good they are. Yeah. Um, may, maybe because uh, once Google went out of China, there weren't enough competition for people to 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 be forced to to make to a make very it better good search engine. Yeah. That's a good example of having a really good, well, really good user experience. I'm air quoting. Uh, I think Google has a good user experience, but I think that there obviously is some biases where if you compare the results from other engines that you might like those better. But I've always, in a blind taste test, so to speak, I've mm. always preferred Google's results Yep. without any styles, like not even like looking at the page, but just in general, the, the results I get back seems to be, seem to be more relevant to, to me. Let's flip it around then. Let's talk about China to the outside. Mm-hmm. And so uh, your talk is on, you know, how China does node. Mm-hmm. 
And I think it, what you're talking around is what we've been sharing here is the speed issues, the language barriers, educating developers on how to better think about using certain web services to communicate with to, to China or be inclusive of China. Uh, what about the flip side? Do we have any problems reaching China servers, mm. reaching China, webs, China websites? You know, how, how does that work? So I have noticed that uh, the services and websites and apps that I use that have all the servers in China are a bit slower outside of China than, mm-hmm. than within. Um, however, but accessible though. Yeah, accessible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the, there's no locking out. It's just, it's just filtering. Right. What comes in. Mm-hmm. So I guess if um, since we're talking here, we're at Node Interactive. This series we're doing here is called the Future of Node.js. Mm-hmm. Talking about the future of Node. Mm-hmm. Um, for those out there listening, these are people who are either in the ecosystem already, developers in the Node system, Node, Node ecosystem, and they want to learn more about the future. What can you share about more from your talk or more from your ideas on the future of Node and where we're going? Like uh, one thing I mentioned earlier, we didn't get to dive much into, which was the 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 NPM of China. Basically, mm-hmm. what what is how does that play out? So, so CNPM, I think, actually stands for private or company VPN. It, it actually doesn't stand for China. It stands for company VPN. Okay. NPN. Um, and it was both... I had that wrong, then. <laughs> I, I just I, made an assumption. I, I didn't know until until a few days ago either, actually. Okay. <laughs> I've just been using it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's a mirror of NPM, right? Uh, the the registry, yes. The registry, it's a, right. It's a and it's a little bit of latency, a couple hours, couple... Uh, I think once a day or so. Okay. Yeah. So so remember the Z-pad thing? Yeah. Was never affect oh or yeah left pad never affected China because uh, it, when it happened we we're like oh um, let's just stop mirroring that part okay. let's just let's just not sync that part wow <laughs> that's an easy way to avoid it then okay so for those who are unfamiliar what is you know give us the deeper side of CNPM it's a it's a mirror of the registry. What's the what's the point of it? Is it because of the firewall? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's because it's much slower to download uh, from elsewhere from from npm. Yeah. So um, who got the permission then? I guess to synchronize this. Did they work with the government? Did they work with somebody to like bypass parts of the firewall to be able to sync the registry? Or right. Uh, it's well. So so the firewall doesn't work as. That you need the that you need permission to do things. It's you just do it until someone stops you. So so npm right now has not um, does not have anything political to do with any anything political basically. So right. so there's no reason to censor it, and it's very important for um, developers. So right. that's that's a very um, so basically until it may cross a line that should not be crossed, doors right. are open. Right. Okay. Yes. How does that make you feel? I mean, do you think, uh, does that make you happy, sad? It's got to make you sad, right? Yeah, I am completely against it. Um, I think most people or most of my developer friends are against it too. Right. Um, I have met a couple of people who have been working on this project, which I don't call them friends. Okay. (laughs) I think um, most people can, if if you work on this project, you could probably find a better job elsewhere. Right. Better for humanity, right? <laughs> um, Just kind of curious if someone from China, because you you still live there, you live mm-hmm. in the U.S. now, right? Uh, I still you, live in China for another month. Okay, so. gotcha. So, would you get in any trouble uh, if someone from China heard you talking like this, or just in general sharing information about 
mm, oh, how the, things work? Oh, I, I think the extent of what I've been talking about is pretty, uh, pretty mild, so I shouldn't get any trouble for this. But it's possible. Uh, yes. What yes. I'm trying to get at is that the listeners listening to this should be thankful that you're sacrificing potentially <laughs> to some degree. Yeah. I'm not sure what level of sacrifice there is, but there's some concern for you. Uh, well, yeah, I will, but but I think this is pretty common knowledge already, so it's it's fine for me to talk about. Right. Um, and 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 it's pretty open to everyone. Kind of knows about this now. Okay. So for those who are right now in China, listen to this podcast. I don't know. Maybe we got hundred people. <laughs> maybe it's a big country. A lot of people there. Maybe it's ten thousand people. I don't know. Um, what do they know, need to know about CMPM? What do they need to know about this concern you have of the firewall, this concern of the language barrier, what do they need in it? Like the developers inside of China? Well, well, I think it's definitely more beneficial to learn English because you're so you're far ahead of people who who has to read, wait and read Chinese documentation. I, I think that's actually the, the bottleneck of uh, developers for developers in China is uh, uh, not being able to be updated so quickly with English documentation. <laughs> That's unique to hear you say that. I wouldn't expect you to say that it'd be just easier to learn English. Yeah. It seems like it's part of, you know, your culture, your heritage, uh, where you're from, to 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 keep and maintain rather than to give up. Right. Um, can Can you repeat that? Uh, it was more. It wasn't really a question. It was just more like just empathizing with you that it's that I find it a little sad that the that the bottleneck is the translation that the bottleneck is is um, being forced to some degree right? L learning or speaking English. Well, um, so uh, you know, computer programming is basically invented in English. And, and true. So everyone has to kind of force, uh, is kind of forced to learn English to I, I guess program. that's true. That's, okay, yeah. I'll take that back then. I'm not, I'm not empathizing. Then. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I think it's, I mean, because uh, I'm a fan of Ruby, right? right? My roots are in Ruby. Huge fan of Yokihiro Matsumoto, Mats, as we've uh, known him well of, creator of Ruby language, um, native uh, Japanese speaker. I mean, he speaks Japanese as his primary language, but he came on our podcast and spoke English, but only after we really asked him to, like, hey, Mats, we will, we will, uh, we'll, we'll speak slower, we'll take our time, we'll edit out the, the parts that don't work out right, we'll make it work. Um, you know, but we're, we're open to to having people like that on the show obviously that aren't only English speakers so uh, I'm not really sure what my question is I'm, I've cut myself rambling but uh, <laughs> that's really all I had that's, okay, that, cool. that's all I, did you have anything you wanted to share with the with the node world that, that I may not have asked you uh, no I think I, I think I have covered everything okay I'll stop rambling then cool cool thank you okay appreciate it That'll wrap up the anthology show today. Hope you enjoyed all the conversations we had. I know Jared and I definitely did. Being there face-to-face -face is so much fun. Seeing people right there live. It's, it's in the trenches, as we say, and it's so much fun to get out there in the community. If you're listening to this and you run a conference, invite us to your conference. Email us, editors at changelog.com. We'd love to come there and cover the stories happening in your community. Thanks once again to OzCon, All Things Open, and also Node Interactive. Thanks also to our friends at ThoughtWorks who run GoCD, and our friends at Fasty for the best CDN out there. 
Also, thanks to Breakmaster Cylinder, aka BMC. Your beats are awesome. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. Thank you.